podcast this week we're joined by the double whammy of Forrest Whitaker yes we saw him for the trees from Rogue One a Star Wars story and David Brent himself Ricky Gervais also drops by the pod booth plus usual movie news reviews and interviews on the movie podcast that likes to take a ridiculous meander or a ridiculous Lin-Manuel Miranda from time to time Uh uh-huh yes close enough yes close enough uh, hello pod, I'm Chris Hewitt, welcome to the Empire Podcast As ever I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning uh, First up is our geek queen appearing for the last time this year before she takes a break As I understand it, she's heading to the Theatre Royal Winchester Where Cinderella <laughs> is in panto in the hopes that uh-huh. Ch- Jared Padalecki and Jensen Ackles appear and take their shirts off I see what you did there, it's terrible and I I'm- wish you hadn't I should have finished the sentence. <laughs> I should have finished the sentence. And that's where I went wrong. Uh, I am going to see a panto tonight. Okay. This I didn't expect. What? <laughs> I, I, really what? I know you go to lots of theatre. Yeah. Uh, I did not expect that you went to well, panto. Uh, I oh, know, no, I know I an extremely expect. talented musician and comedian called Vicky Stone. And she's appearing in panto in Aladdin. In she fact, in Hammersmith. was the one who was on this morning, wasn't she, doing a song a few years ago? That would be right. Yeah. She's done a great song about Brian Cox. You know her. And I know her. You personally know this person. Yes. You actually We ran the marathon together. Although, well, no, we didn't. She ran a lot faster than I did. But this is someone you hang out with. Yes. So this is a famous friend. I mean, yes. I, I, you know, we're like we're not like buddy buddies. I don't want to claim her as like a token, like I'm putting her on my mantelpiece. But you know, would you say she's your best friend? Yeah, I would say like we're we're basically inseparable. Is she going to be your maid of honor at your wedding? I mean, certainly, God, if, unless children? she agrees to marry me. You know, mm-hmm. in which case, fine. Now that's a wrinkle I hadn't expected. <laughs> I will introduce you in a second, John. Sorry. No, no. John's here. Please, John's take, here. Take, take your time. time. John Nugent. Because uh, honestly, I have listened. I've, for John's intro, I wrote, and last but not least, is a quiet man of the pod, our very own George Harrison. And I stopped because <laughs> <laughs> we were in a rush to get into this booth. Yes. Um, so Sorry. is there anything? You know that there's nice? some existential queries about whether John exists. Yeah, I, I, I understand this. That's become thing now. I understand this. Is this, is this your new thing? I, I guess. I don't know. It's for... Yeah. Anything that <laughs> anything that, that well I can lose the rage reputation I think I'm okay with. I think I think that's behind you. That's behind me. I I've behind I've gone you. to the anger management classes. It's all, yeah. you know, it's, it's water fine. under the bridge. Like George Harrison himself who emerged uh from under the shadow of Lennon and McCartney to forge his own path first as a Beatle and then as a solo artist and then of course as a traveling Wilbur. Uh you what? Uh, it's totally true. Uh, you have have put that in the past where it belongs. In the rage closet. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Just like Dr. Bruce Banner. <laughs> yes. So anyway, so uh, you do exist. I can verify I, this. I believe I, I mean, do, yes. Can we be sure he isn't a solid light hologram? I don't know. It's possible I was created in a lab by Anthony Hopkins. It's, it's, it's unclear. See, I've, I've always thought that about you and about Anthony Hopkins. You thought Anthony Hopkins... Had a lab and probably created journalists in it. <laughs> I, I mean, it's the, it's the logical... I mean, just look at him. Come on, he looks like that kind of guy, doesn't he? I think that's absolutely fair. He, he does. He, he seems... He's, he's got restless creativity, hasn't he? Exactly. Little Tony. Exactly. And, uh, you know, presumably he's also forming his own food supply, right? Hannibal Lecter oh no that's wrong just grow your own grow your own I've I've been watching a different Hannibal of late so yeah yeah. it's like a human allotment (laughs) the human allotment absolutely yeah yeah Yeah. and in this human allotment there's lots of little animals 
Over there, there's a human butterfly. Over there, there's a human Ew. centipede. Oh, Chris. <laughs> Ew. It's the sort of animal you get in a, in a human allotment. Don't blame me. It's Can John. we not have a callback to that infamous episode? <laughs> Right, uh, should we have a question? <laughs> Let's do that, yes. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> oh, dear. Penultimate, I think what's happened is, this is the penultimate podcast uh, of the year. The regular one, anyway. The regular yeah. one. Yeah. We have two more big old specials coming up yeah. uh, very, very soon. They'll be fine, but I think we're just a little bit stir-crazy. It's you December. Know, it's December. Yeah. I've you know. had a bit too much mulled wine. Uh, and I've had one too many pieces of fudge. Yeah. Not a euphemism for anything. Not a euphemism. And, <laughs> uh, and, and I've been locked in a room all week working on a feature, so... Really? Yeah. Can you tell us what the feature is? Uh, no. Is it a cover feature? Yes. Is it the next cover feature? Yes. I know what it is. Yeah, but we can't definitely can't say that on the, on the, no, on the podcast can't. now that you've we given can't. that away. We can't, but yeah. I do know what it is. Yeah. yeah, I know what it is. Do you know what it is? Yeah, I know what it is. It's like we work here or something. Uh, That's high five, yeah. yeah. High five, yeah. It's good. It's good. What are we doing? Oh yeah, podcast. P- uh, right, films. So, but uh, you're you're. I'm just intrigued by by. I'm intrigued in many ways by Helen, but Helen oh. is about to leave. And where are you going for Christmas? I'm going home to Northern Ireland. You're going home to Northern Ireland. Yeah. Have you done all your Christmas shopping? Mostly. These are the questions I was saving for next week, but now Helen's yeah. leaving. Yeah, I, I have to uh, pick up some stuff that I've had delivered to mm-hmm. various places. Excuse and when you go home at Christmas, do you switch off as a film journalist or do you watch films? Oh, I watch films. How do you switch off except by watching films? That doesn't make Precisely. any sense. Precisely. Yeah. It, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, John, what are you doing for Christmas? Uh, I'm going to Wales. My my grandfather lives on a farm in Wales. Holy cow, that sounds yeah, amazing. Christmas. So we're going to warm by the, the fire. It's basically like the end of It's a Wonderful Life, my family. Mm. It's just, you know, there's lots of people singing carols and being like, oh, oh Merry Christmas. <laughs> you old buildings, <laughs> buildings alone. <laughs> It's exactly wow. like that. Exactly like that. Yeah, my dad is Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> okay, uh, let's have a question now. And the question is Christmas related. Uh, it's from Katie Trainer at Katie Trainer, uh, who says, Merry Christmas, Pod. Merry Christmas, Katie. Oh, Merry Christmas, Katie. What Christmas movie should be remade with The Rock in the lead role? <laughs> oh, this is a great question. <laughs> I mean, you just mentioned it's a wonderful... No, I'm kidding. Uh, please, please, please don't, don't shoot me. Oh, that's an interesting question, isn't it? Oh, okay, know. okay, I've got one. Muppets Christmas Carol. That's exactly wow. what Katie Turner says. Yeah. <laughs> so, you mean as Scrooge, not Kermit? I mean, either. He'd make a delightful Kermit. He would. He would. We know he can sing, sort of, about as much as Kermit can. I haven't seen Momana yet, so uh, how is he... He's decent. He's I, just, I don't know that he has an enormous range, but certainly within his range, he's good. Yeah, pleasant tone. Okay. Yeah, um, it has to be songs about him and how great he is, I think. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's his range. Kermit doesn't sing that much in Muppet Christmas Carol, though, does he? He sings that uh, One More One Sleep. One More Sleep Till Christmas. Mm. Was it One Sleep? It's not Sleep, sleep is it? That's, that's Leona Lewis, I think. This season to be jolly and joyous. <laughs> it's that like one. when we had Kermit in this very booth. Yeah! Was there a guy attached to Kermit? No, I didn't see one. Mm. What do you mean, a guy attached to Kermit? <laughs> He's just a frog. He's just rude. He's just a frog. I just, you know. We just had Kermit the frog and Pepe the prawn and that was that. I, I human once, centipede scenario again. I once hosted uh, a press conference with the Muppets. Yes, at one of the... No, 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 another one. Oh, a press conference. Another oh. one. This is when the Muppet movie, the Muppets came out. And it was brilliant because... They had the, the table, normal press conference table, but it was about six feet tall to allow the Muppet... I don't know if you know this, but the Muppets uh, have an entourage. 
and just very oh, close well, personal friends yeah. who are in attendance sure. when the puppets sure. are around, just to make sure they don't fall into any puddles or any, or, or or any harm. And so these friends of the Muppets were just hanging around. Oh, well, like that makes table. sense. I mean, obviously the friends and the Muppets were there when we interviewed them, but yeah. we we made them wait outside. It was it was just the puppets yeah. in the room. It's, Muppets. It's, oh God. Uh, Muppets, Muppets, <laughs> and then I did. Uh, I I hosted an impromptu Q and A with uh, Kermit, and I, I want to say Rizzo the Rat. Uh, afterwards, where we were thrown into a room really, really quickly with a bunch of journalists to do a little impromptu press conference, um, and there was no table, and so the Muppets' friends came along and sat down. With the Muppets and no table, nothing to hide the appearance of the friends. Hmm. And that was fascinating because you find yourself, I'm sure you found this as well, whenever, who was on the podcast? Who was on the podcast? It, it was Ritzel, wasn't it? It was Ritzel and no, Kermit. No, it was Pepe. Pepe, Pepe. Pepe and, and Kermit. And if, I don't know if you've you ever interviewed the Muppets face to face. Not face to face, no. You do find yourself talking to them. Oh yeah, 100%. And not... Their, their friends. friends <laughs> who were with them. Uh, it's so bizarre. I love it. Because they do the sort of, they cock their head to one side and they sort of nod when you're speaking. Yeah. You know, because yeah. they're listening. Yeah. So that's why you talk to them. Absolutely. Why would you not be? Why would you? It'd be rude. It would be, be weird rude not, not to. to. Okay, who, who else? Home Alone. Home Alone. Home Alone. Oh, I think you might have nailed it. I the Rockers, it, Kevin McAllister. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. The Rockers, Joe Pesci. Absolutely. Um, uh, the Rock in every role in that movie. <laughs> the Rock be, in every role would be amazing. That would be amazing. Um, I'm going to take Die Hard off the table because yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's too yeah. obvious. Yeah, it's too obvious. Um, if the Rock could show up in Love Actually, oh, who yes. would he be? Uh, the Rock. <laughs> would he heavily be? armed? No, no. How about the Rock as the British Prime Minister? The, oh, well, that's, that takes the role away from Hugh Grant. Oh, he's genuinely one of the best things yeah, in that actually not bad. god awful film uh, um, and this week what about um, the Billy Bob Thornton role oh no he couldn't be that no no, no. no. he's too likeable yeah I'd, what? I'd be rooting for the, the president <laughs> <laughs> okay um, is he the person who could make that I mean this the, is no the really ref- bad bit work. this is no reflection on Andrew Lincoln no. who is a, a lovely man and a very fine actor but that, yeah. that storyline in Love Actually is where terrible. he is trying to seduce Keira Knightley from under the nose of his best friend and he's doing it in a really creepy horrible mm-hmm. fashion that bit where she goes round why do I know this film so well <laughs> there's a bit where she goes around he goes around, she goes around to to because the video the, the wedding video hasn't come out very well and she goes around he's been filming some extra bits and she goes around to watch the, the wedding video and he's just filmed her face for two hours because he's a creepy psycho pervert yes yeah I, that's and then she kisses him when he turns up at a doorstep with that sign business and it just is horrible Yes. Horrible. And the only way that would work is if he were the rock. Uh, because then, <laughs> as great as Chewie is, you'd, yeah. you'd sack him off, wouldn't you? Because it's the rock. And you could totally understand that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that makes perfect sense now. Yeah. That- the rock's the only person who could make filming your bride and only your bride <laughs> for two hours seem charming. He's the charming side of sociopathy. <laughs> <laughs> In, in semi-seriousness, uh-huh. right, we're probably due a remake of Holiday Inn slash White Christmas. Okay. Um, 
And certainly one of those two, apart from the incredibly racist bit, which we'd have to cut out, I think it was Holiday Inn, yeah. um, the, they are meant to be ex-army, which would kind of fit the rock, let's be honest, right? Yeah. So he's trying to open an inn in Connecticut, this time with Kevin Hart, because it just probably would be. Um, it's in keeping with his Entertain the Troops sort of a vibe that he has going on. He did that Rock the Troops event recently. Yeah. Um, Weren't they doing it to entertain an old general, or is that in White Christmas? I get the two really mixed up. Um, anyway, and that that could not entirely kidding. That could work. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I see that. I see that. I think I think he'd, he'd make a great Santa Claus. I really do. I think he'd make a great Santa Claus uh, in uh, Fred Claus. He should remake Fred Claus. No. Um, what's that one? <laughs> miracle on 34th Street. Yeah, the one about the Miracle on 34th Street. What's, yeah. what's that one? Uh, he'd, be, he'd be pretty good in that. He'd so, be, from from just to be clear, yeah. Lord Richard Attenborough to Dwayne The Rock Johnson. You see that as a progression. I mean, I, I see it as an evolution. I see it as the way that mankind is going. <laughs> well, we'd have to call up David for, for clarity on that, I guess. He would absolutely go... He, yeah, you know, oh I nearly did an impression, yeah. but no, I think he, I think he would like it. That would be disrespectful, Chris. You, you are right not to do that impression. We don't make fun of Sir David Attenborough around these parts. Thanks. Not making fun. I do not be. That's Sir David Attenborough with constipation. No. This is okay. That's right. What? 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 I've got a good one. Bring it. Elf. Oh. As 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 Buddy. Buddy. Because the whole joke of Elf is that he's an oversized man in a. So you think tiny... they didn't go far enough? They didn't go far enough. <laughs> Will Ferrell is a tall man, but he's not as tall as The Rock, uh, or as wide, or as large as The Rock. I'd love to see. <laughs> I'd love to see The Rock in some tiny, undersized little elf jackets. You know, mm. his muscles just sort of bursting out of them <laughs> okay um, <laughs> oh, I feel like wow we're getting into some uncharted territory here wow sorry I just I, I, can't, I can't control myself sometimes <laughs> no I'm you know I think John may be onto something here he, uh, yeah I, I can see that yeah yeah. I've got okay. one more uh, trading places and I think the rock would be <sighs> fantastic in the Dan Aykroyd role I can see the rock as a drunk Santa with a salmon stuck in his beard that would be a lot of fun. Uh, he seems to be on a mission at the moment to remake lots of films with Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart would be a very, very good fit for the, for the Eddie Murphy role. I think that would be a very fun way yeah. to go. Guys, uh, call us. We've got you sorted for the next Trading couple Pla- of Christmases. Trading Places is a fantastic, fantastic, fantastic movie. Uh, but yeah, it could maybe... It's one of those movies, if, weirdly enough. It's a bit like Ghostbusters for me. I've said this in the podcast before. It's a beloved movie. I think it's fantastic. I don't know how many jokes there are in it. It's a character <laughs> comedy. It's a character mm-hmm. comedy, and the character the comedy comes from the character. And there's some amazing, amazing jokes in it, and, and it's endlessly quotable. But I can see a rock Kevin Hart version that is more jokey. All right, out now jokey than Trading Places. Okay, let's make this happen. Let's make it happen, Hollywood. John, give him a call. I'll yeah, uh, yeah I'll just uh, text him. <laughs> yes, I'll WhatsApp him. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's right. You're mates with The Rock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Best yeah. buds. Helen, have you been Best The Rock? buds. Uh, no. Yeah, me neither. He did call me his good friend once. Yeah. I'm clinging to that. Yeah, not best okay. buds, though, you say. Yeah. All right. So we have, um, we've got two guests on the podcast this week. Yeah. Should we have the first one? Let's do sure. it, yeah. Okay. So the first one is the writer, star, director, producer. Overachiever. 
overachiever T-Man I think he did the T he was a gopher key grip he did all this sort of stuff on David Brent Life on the Road and before that of course The Office and Extras and Life's Too Short and Derek and the Golden Globes and this and that and all over the place uh, he is one of the giants of British comedy he is of course Ricky Gervais the film is now available on DVD Blu-ray and download but listen I'm not going to give him a big intro now here right here because I gave him a big introduction when I interviewed him a couple of weeks ago. Listen to the introduction now. Enjoy. Right, press and record. I'll give you a big introduction and yeah. away we go. Uh, we're delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by Ricky Gervais. How are you, sir? You said it was going to be a really big introduction. Well... That was very subdued. Do you want me to big it up a bit? No, don't. No, I can no, big don't. it up. No, no, I, don't I, I, I can dare. go again. I can no, go again. No, you've called my bluff. No, I'll do it again. I'll no, do it don't. again. No, no, no. I'm going to give you a big introduction. <laughs> oh, God. I'm going to give you a big introduction. Okay. All right, here we go. Oh. We're delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by a man who has changed comedy as we know it, a giant of the British comedy. No, the global comedy scene. The man who's created The Office, Extras, Derek, Life's Too Short, the great, the one and only, Richard Gervais. Oh, you just ruined at the end. It <laughs> was great. I was loving that. That was like that was like a massage. Um, Shall we go again with that? Was, no, that's good. Yes, my name is really. Someone asked me if I it was a fake name. And I said, "Why would I? Why would I make up the name Ricky Gervais? I'd 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 call myself Hank Bangford or something if I could make. Why would a Ricky Gervais, the the, the first name of a child or Alsatian?" Yeah. Last name of a 17th century fop. It's like, this is going to be good for my image. No, my real name is Ricky Gervais. I was, I was christened Ricky Dean Gervais. Dean was spelled wrong as well. You were Ricky. I didn't Ricky, know that. Yes, I no, Richard. Ricky, Sorry. Ricky Dean Gervais. D-E-N-E. My mum said my dad was drunk and she, she let him do one job and he had to fill out the birth certificate. And he said, she went, he was drunk. <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but I really hope it is. That I got that name because my dad was drunk and was given one job to do with me. That is amazing. That is amazing. But you know, you didn't get embarrassing initials because some kids can have that. I almost had, you know, I'm 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 C T A H. My mum and dad realised at the last minute that they were going to change. They were going to call me C A T H, and that was Kath. And kids, <laughs> kids would immediately catch on. They would go Kath yeah. and. Oh, oh, mine is, RDG, mine is uh, the abbreviation for Reading, which is funny. Which, <laughs> that worked. That worked as a kid. RDG. Do you uh, think that's maybe why your dad did it? Is he so full of local pride? Or uh, uh, no? Oh no, he didn't. He didn't choose the name. I just think okay. he spelt Dean wrong. I think that was the. I All think right. I was meant to be. Ricky. It, was, it was never meant to be Richard. It was. Always, I don't it was, think so. Oh, no. That's interesting. Okay. It's odd, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's quite American. My dad was Canadian, so I think Ricky is quite. Mm. I think that's where you might find an adult called Ricky more. Yeah. Well, maybe there. it's someone just cutting out the middleman because everyone just ultimately gravitates towards abbreviations of their names. They, they gravitate, gravitate towards nicknames. So at some point in your life, you would probably have become Rick or Ricky. Yeah, I don't know anyone uh, who calls me Rick. Oh, my family, mm-hmm. Rick. They call me Rick. Yeah, but okay. no one else does. It sounds weird coming from someone else. Someone calls me Rick. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds odd. <laughs> uh, yeah, but um, well, I no, think we, I, we've covered the name. I think I grounded you up a bit. We've, gov- we've covered right. the intro. Are you name. happy with the intro that's, now? That's all the time we've got. For. <laughs> oh. Have you answered every single question that's uh, conceivable about live on the road? Um, I I doubt it. Yeah. Um, my thing is, I sort of want to come up with different, more interesting answers every time. But 
um, if people ask the same questions, they will get the same answer <laughs> because it's the tr- it's the truth. Is there um, one thing in the film that you've been burning to be asked about, but no one's asked about it? Uh, oh, now you've oh god. Um, uh, that that'd be no, then, won't it? <laughs> I, I, I think I think my hesitation has, has answered your question. <laughs> Because uh, I imagine everyone's asked about bringing Brent back after yeah. so many uh, years away, but I, I'm I'm fascinated by uh, the impact that Brent has had, not just on pop culture, but on other people as well, and other bosses. I'm a I'm a football fan, I'm a Liverpool fan, and I don't know if you're aware about Brendan Rodgers, who was Liverpool's boss. For yeah, I saw, I saw I see it online. People tweet me with um, him doing it. Yeah, yeah. people are often. Um, yeah, compared to he's quite away with him, he's quite articulate. He was quite verbose, and people called him Brenton Rogers, and that was a nickname right. that kind of you know he was he was saddled with for a long, long time. Um, yeah, that must be something that's well, it. I sp- I sp- um, I guess Brent's become sort of shorthand for uh, maybe pontificating mm-hmm. um, in a, 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 a I suppose the blind spot. It seems to have captured that. The, uh, you know, the middle-aged man um, not being that self-aware, being a bit of a prat and not knowing it. Mm. Um, but I, I, that is the staple of uh, comedy, particularly sitcom and probably particularly British sitcom, which is an ordinary um, person, usually a, usually a middle-aged man. Mm. But uh, um, in general terms, comedy at its essence is a, an ordinary person trying to do something they're not equipped to do. Mm. And that's what's funny, and that's what we laugh at and mm. with, because we're all like that. We all, we all maybe overstep the mark, or got wishful thinking, or fall flat on our face when we're trying something out of our comfort zone, and that's a good thing. Mm. And um, I think Brent's sort of become quite a pinup boy for that, and particularly with the sort of the the the, um, the latest chapter of the saga, is that. Um, I like that ambiguity. Are we laughing at him or are we saying well done for trying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think it was it was less ambiguous um, 15 years ago. You know, we were laughing at Brent because he was a bit of a prat. He was showing off. He wanted to be famous. He was a narcissist. Um, uh, and, we, and he was sort of not stitched up by the documentary team, but uh, shown to be what, what he was, right? But now... 15 years later, mm. the world's changed behind his back. So he's all those things, but compared to modern day narcissists yeah. and, and bullies and alpha males, he, he's all right. Do you know what I mean? In yeah. retrospect, he's not that bad because yeah. we've seen that culture change. We've seen, we've seen people get on The Apprentice since The Office um, by saying, I will destroy anyone who stands in my way. We've fame is now insatiable. Now people live their life like an open wound to be famous. Whereas, you know, The Office came out of me watching some quaint docu-soaps of the 90s where an ordinary guy got his 15 minutes and that was it. But now people will do anything. Now there's an unwritten contract between uh, people getting on telly on Big Brother by saying, I'll, I'll, I'll behave badly, I promise. And the programme makers go, you promise? You're... you're, you're You'll behave really badly and, and, and show yeah. us your lowest ebb. Yeah, yeah I promise. Yeah. You know, how many times have you seen Celebrity Big Brother, someone going in who's fallen from grace or disgraced themselves or sometimes through no fault of their own um, and they go into Celebrity Big Brother 
and they say, I want to show the public a different side of me. I'm screaming, going, fuck the public. They want you to fail again. Mm. This is yeah. entertainment. This yeah. isn't therapy. Yeah. This is bad for you. And so, yeah, yeah. And so now I think when we see 55 year old Brent, uh, who's a little bit older and a little bit wiser, the real point is he wasn't that bad. He was only that bad compared to the other people in the office who, uh, but compared to modern day society, he's not that bad. You know, you know, we've just had, we've just had a, a president <laughs> elected who was, who is a, a game show host, the apprentice yeah. host. Yeah. Think of the things he said compared to the things Brent said. Brent's trying to do the right thing. He's just, he makes a fool of himself now and again, but uh, it's society is different and that was the big theme of life on the road mm. I think that Brent had changed a bit we all changed in 15 years but the the main theme was how the world had changed behind his back yeah. and that um, there's a certain irony to the fact that he's trying to do it right he's not he's not doing anything to be famous you know he's actually he's writing songs and he's got a band together but he's not going to be rewarded for that because it's all wrong for him. Mm. He can't do it the credible route mm. because he's a 55-year-old tampon rep. He mm. can't be Bruce Springsteen, however good he is. Yeah. Um, it would be better if he entered X Factor and got through on a slightly ironic camp vote. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, he might get to work week five in the finals. Exactly. You never know. Yeah, exactly. But he doesn't want to do it like that because yeah. he wants, he, you know, at least he sees that he wants a bit of credibility with his fame. So he's caught between these two worlds. He doesn't want to um, uh, live his life like an open wound and be rewarded for being awful. He wants to be rewarded for being good. It's just that he's not good enough. Yeah. And and so I suppose the lesson is that he's looking for something he didn't need. He doesn't need to be famous to have worth. He doesn't need to be a rock star to be liked. He doesn't need to keep proving himself to strangers you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. He'd be okay if he just if he just liked himself a bit more. How many different uh, iterations of the of the story did you go through when you were putting the film together in terms of what the resolution, in terms of where we leave Brent at the end? Um, because I think other filmmakers would have had Brent become a huge success in some way at the end of the movie. Well, that's and always dangerous. That's isn't dangerous it? That, in itself. The of big the big Hollywood ending where yeah. Um, I mean, I've read a script once where uh, a guy trying to make it in a band right, it, it ended by him slipping uh, a demo tape in John Peel's pocket at a party. And that was meant to be Happy Ever After. <laughs> like, that's, that was it then. Then he, that was, That's it, you know. Um, but, you know, a thousand people try every week to be a rock star. Yeah. Um, so it would be odd if David Brent became a rock star yeah. um, but it wasn't about that it was about him thinking that's what he needed because he's been sold this lie that a whole generation has been sold now If be, be famous and it'll sort your life out you'll, you'll be happy yeah. you know um, it's, it's, it's crazy I mean it is it is crazy we have got a new breed of narcissists we've got people being born into narcissism and it being rewarded for it that you can it's crazy hmm. Um why Why would a little boy or a little girl want to be a doctor when they can get a reality show? 
Yeah. And, you know, we are going to run out of doctors. They're all going to be singers <laughs> or going on celebrity this and celebrity that. Yeah. Next is celebrity enema. I think people, <laughs> I think. It's, it's just not the question. You couldn't, you couldn't come up with a spoof reality show that in five years time won't be a reality. This is true. This is true. Well, a few years ago was the, uh, the farm where people were wanking off pigs. Do you sure. That? Do you remember that show? Yeah, I, do, I think I yeah. do remember that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So it's, uh, you know, it's... it's Which, to be fair, that does happen. They didn't just invent that. That wasn't... That, <laughs> it is a practice that goes on. <laughs> exactly. That wasn't, that wasn't a game that Jimmy Fallon invented to get... Yeah. <laughs> right, to get the get your meals for tonight, you have to wank off this pig. Sorry, yeah. guys, that's where it is. Yeah. You've signed a contract. You're all in. You're all in. I will have to let you go, Ricky. Uh, but I want to ask one thing. Um... It's about the Liam Neeson appearance on Life's Too Short. Oh, amazing. That scene is extraordinary. Thank you. And we quote it all the time in the Upper Office, yeah. and we retweet it constantly as well. It's Always lovely. brings joy into our lives. Um, where did it come from? It came from the fact that after I... Um, uh, during and after extras, I'd be, at, I'd be at the Golden Globes and the Emmys and all these big American award shows, and people would come up to me. I mean, big stars and say, can I be in extras, right? And, you know, the, the, uh, the, you know, the first time you think, oh, God, that's flattering, you think I'll try and, try and do something, and, or you go, oh, well, I'll think about it. And, and then it was all over so quickly. By the time I'd sort of made it in America, yeah. um, extras were sort of over almost. Yeah. Do, do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, yeah. I think people get the timeline wrong. Um, yeah. And so... Uh, 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 either the, um, at the end of extras or you know after it was over, they come up to me and some of them would pitch me ideas, and obviously they're awful <laughs> because they were pitching me ideas where they looked good yeah. in extras and that sort of you know, and so uh, and even on the street, just um, you know, ordinary people would come up and go, "I've got, I've got an idea." And some of it would be good, some of it would be bad, but it's, it fills you with dread because yeah. whatever it is, even if it was a, a, a cabbie telling me a joke, it could be the most horrendous joke in the world, but I'd have to go, oh, you know, <laughs> and my politeness, my politeness was, it, it sort of trapped me yeah. in a way. Yeah. And I thought, imagine that times 10. Imagine not only someone telling you these awful things, but... He was six foot five and one of the greatest actors in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and someone who thinks he's funny and isn't. And I, I just, and that's, that's, and uh, then we thought, who could that be? Well, the modern day, our John Wayne. It's our, it's our, it's our generation's John Wayne, isn't it? Liam Neeson. Yeah. And he played it just so amazing. Uh, just incredible. There was twice as much really? stuff. It was, how, it was how much uh, improv was it? Uh, well, it wasn't improv. It was <laughs> that he then had, he uh, then told a joke. Okay. That that uh, that I was going. Well, no, don't 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 say that because that's the he's getting it wrong. Right, the, not seeing the funny side of it. Why it was funny. It, honestly, it went on uh, uh, just crying with laughter. And the funny thing was that uh, we also made him a bit of a a bully. Yeah. Where the e, uh, I don't do notes, and it would scare me, scare me. So that was the idea when uh, when someone's confronted and someone says to you, "Here's a joke, you yeah. can have this," and you yeah. think, "Oh God, 
<laughs> you, know, you know, but uh, just make it more and more trapped. Yeah, you know, take it to the nth degree. Yeah. So yeah, because um, you can't get out to get to get to the door. You have to get past Liam Neeson, and that, and that, and well, that, you just can't do it. It's great when he says, "I've, <laughs> I've played Oliver Schindler. I've played Rob Roy. You know, I couldn't do a greengrocer. Was it? Was it? <laughs> says, yeah. <laughs> but but it's the way he goes. What well, as I said, I have full blown AIDS. <laughs> Just, just. I mean, you know, I was excited to have full-blown AIDS as a punchline in a sitcom being said by, by Otto Schindler. <laughs> I think I worked it out. I interviewed Liam on the podcast and I asked him about that scene. And I think I've worked it out. All the things he says he wants to do in that speech, you know, crazy characters, improv, all that sort of stuff, he has since done. So it was almost like... <laughs> Well, they said, they said that about Kate Winslet as well That's when she won an Oscar won for playing a Holocaust movie. <laughs> a Holocaust movie, yeah. And I said it to her at the Golden Globes when I got up after she'd won. I said, "See, Winslet, I told you, do a film about the Holocaust and the awards come rolling in." Um, there are lots of things that come true. Then Sam Jackson mistaken for um, Lawrence Fishburne. Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah. That's in extras. Oh my God, you're some sort of weird soothsayer. What's, yeah. what's going on? Yeah, well, the Simpsons have done it by, by about 300 <laughs> times, haven't they? Didn't, they? didn't they predict Trump? They predict um, a lot of things, yeah. No, but it's funny when those little things are imitating life and then the other way around. So, um, no, that, that was fun. Extras was, was fun. I look back at that as fun. Yeah. Um, and fun, what's, what's fun next for you? You're doing stand-up again? I've told myself I've got to do this. I, I just, it keeps getting pushed back stand-up and it's sort of, I mean, it's, I say it's a third of what I do, but it should be more than a third of what I do because it is the purest form. It, it, it's, I don't have to worry about anything. It's just me, you know. I, I, it, there's no collaboration. There's no filter. What I think is what I say is what they hear. Mm-hmm. Might, they might not like it or understand it, but, it, you know, there's no... Um, and, uh, and it's a privilege. You know, 10,000 people have come out. They've... You know, got a babysitter and found a, a parking space, and they've paid a ridiculous amount of money on eBay. And <laughs> it's just, I want to, I want to, I want to be really good at it. And 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 I've and it, it keeps getting pushed back for a sitcom idea or a movie. And it's been six, seven years. So I've my, and I'm nearly there. I've nearly got an hour. I'm doing a few more warm ups, and then I'm going to um um. You know, play, do a little bit of a world tour. Fantastic. Is By world tour, being... I mean all the places I have a house. <laughs> That's 47 countries, right? <laughs> something, something like that. Yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, that is next. I mean, this goes on, though, because this yeah. comes out on netflix in february and i do it all again i'll do some more gigs with brent because that's weird and that that's 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 you're, that's, you're done no you're no done. i do want to do a few do, more gigs do, because yeah. even though it's sort of outside the narrative yeah. a little bit it's a bit weird that david brent can sell out venues as fast as the stones and people sing along <laughs> he can't he can't be a loser but it's all it's almost like there's almost a fourth wall yeah you know they know yeah. they're seeing a guy that stepped out of the telly yeah. They're in on the joke. Brent doesn't hear the cheers. He's still got something to gripe about, you know. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Uh, so it, it's, but I, I, honestly, uh, irony, character or not, when you hear 5,000 people sing along to basically a head on a pillow, that's a huge thrill. 
<laughs> so I want to I want to have that again. Did they, um, hit, the, did they hit the notes? Uh, th- honestly, it's mad. They they sing along to every. It's like a Queen concert. <laughs> <laughs> they're singing along to a tampon rep from Slough, and it, it's it's amazing atmosphere. Honestly, I've never had I've never experienced anything like it. It's wow. ridiculous. More so than my stand up. You know, wow. it's just because you've got a band behind you. It's to music. Yeah, it's like. It's 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 amazing. So I want to do some of those just for fun, and I don't want to over. I don't want to kill that. I want to keep that for special occasions and do those. Yeah. Um, birthdays uh, and birthdays. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the Queen's ninetieth. Um, Top of Buckingham Palace. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so that uh, humanity, um, and then and then I'm going to do um, a sitcom third. I'm gonna, uh, you know, I've got a little bit of a backlog. I never know which one to do. I've got a few ideas. Brand new. movie, yeah, yeah, new, yeah. I don't know what. I don't know. I've got half a dozen things that I don't know what to do. Um, but uh, and I won't even start writing that for a year because yeah. I want to. I want to do. I want to do humanity, and I want it to be the best one I've ever done. Fantastic. Uh, and I'm doing it differently. With the first one, I sort of wrote them in a way, yeah. like it was a, like it was a, a big Edinburgh show. And this one, I've I was I've been wandering out and talking to the audience, and I built it much more organically. Is that terrifying? Because I, I saw no, it's not. It, it's, I'll tell you why it's not. Yeah. Because it doesn't matter what happens. Because I've gone out there and I've said this is a warm-up show. You know, they get in for next to nothing. Do you have notes in your hand? At least? Yeah, yeah. I've got okay, I've, I've got, got a yeah. list of things. You know, uh, um, uh, I think the the first time I went out on my hand, it was. It was, uh, what did I, it was funny because I looked down and I laughed the first time. It said something like, um, uh, Golden Globes, Caitlyn Jenner, um, Vikings. <laughs> so it just. Because even this is going already. This exactly, is- <laughs> yeah. It, that, that's, that's, that's what I, that's what I had. That's what I had, yeah. Amazing, amazing. Well, I'll, I'll let you go off. Next Cheers. It has been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much indeed. Okay, so that's Ricky Gervais, or the bits that we were allowed to broadcast. Uh, very, very funny guy. Very funny guy indeed. Uh, right, so let's have some movie news, shall we? Sure. What's, sure. what's been the haps, Daddy? Oh, I've been off this week. I've been, I've been away. Um, all I know of what happened in Hollywood this week is that um, David Ayer is directing another... Yeah. DC Comics movie. Yeah. Gotham City Sirens with Margot Robbie returning as mm. uh, Harley Quinn at the head of the cast. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, this is, I guess, it's probably good news for anybody who really enjoyed Suicide Squad. So, those people are going to be happy. Yeah. Probably about this. I I spoke to him and he's delighted. (laughs) (laughs) Made like over $700 million. So there must be at least one or two of them. Or is it, I I don't know. No, no, no. I'm sure sure, there are people who enjoyed it. There are 745 million reasons why David Ayer should make another (laughs) DC Comics movie. Imagine how many more reasons there would be if Suicide Squad had been any good. There we go. Uh, so Christina Hodson is writing the script. It's based on the Sirens comic book, which also featured Catwoman, Poison Ivy, people like that. Um, and I think they're the the sort of the main trio. It's mm. Harley, Catwoman, and Poison Ivy. Mm-hmm. It does seem it is quite surprising this news. I have to say. Do you think? I mean, it was it was rumored for a while. I'm not I'm not surprised about 
the the project itself. Right. I, I think that makes sense. And yeah, you know, it's good to see Harley Quinn back because she was one of the best things in Suicide Squad. But yeah, David Ayer, David Ayer coming back to the DC universe. I mean, we we had him on the the, the spoiler special, and he did not sound like he was ready to jump back into this world. Unless he's had assurances, you never know. I mean, there's, yeah. there's, there at times is a decent movie threatening to burst out of Suicide Squad, um, and it has all the hallmarks of being messed around with and interfered with. And who knows? Maybe his original vision, his original cut, was absolutely fantastic. And maybe he's had reassurances that they'll leave him alone this time. Uh, it's not uncommon, of course, for directors to return to comic book movies. It's happened Lowe's, Chris Nolan, obviously, mm-hmm. Sam Raimi. Um, within the MCU, we've had the likes of James Gunn return and Peyton Reed and John Favreau. So it's not unusual. But what is unusual, I think, well, let's say that, is, is um, a film getting slaughtered critically and then the director coming back. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then again, it's happened with Zack Snyder's on Justice League, although that was a different situation. That was a film that got slaughtered as he was two weeks away from shooting that movie. This is different. This this feels this feels different to me. I'm not a fan of Suicide Squad. Um, uh, so, but you never know. You never know. It might be good. He's not writing it, and that could be crucial. What's interesting as well in in that story, it's sort of buried, but uh, a second Suicide Squad movie is still in the works, mm. which is interesting. Um, I presumably not with David Ayer. I mean, that's still early days yet. I think it sounds like Gotham City Sirens is coming first, but um, you know. They, they, this, it seems like they're still ploughing ahead with, with their sort of yeah. expanded universe I mean, I, I guess it, it, it did well, so there yeah. you go. I guess. It did well. It did well. Um, but I wonder if the Joker's going to be in this one. Yeah, I guess that, that may depend on the solo Batman movie going ahead or not. It might be. I mean, you, you, they wouldn't have the Joker in that movie, would they? I mean, that's just... In the Batman movie. That seems a bit too obvious. But, well, you know... Everyone, they have him there in their back pocket, though. But we all want to see Jared Leto again yeah I uh, guess um, so <laughs> uh, fingers crossed every day is Christmas Eve elsewhere other news uh, so Emma Stone was already down to star in Cruella the live action Disney film about Cruella Deville, of course mm-hmm. the villain in 101 Dalmatians it now has a director in the Broadway shape of Alex Timbers who is, has until now most been known, known for his work on Broadway oh, okay. well, he was so like he was Broadway. working on the Broadway adaptation of Frozen okay. has stepped away from that um, his biggest screen work to be honest has been on um, Mozart in the Jungle which is the very good Amazon comedy series with good? Gail Garcia Bernal yeah I've been really enjoying it actually haven't seen uh, season 3 yet but okay. I've been busy working but um, but yeah it's, it's not bad so, mm. so I guess that's a good sign um but it just goes to show how much experience you don't always need to get a major motion picture job directing, I think. Um, he's another one of these guys who's kind of coming straight up to, you know, a sort of what's probably, what, an 80 to $100 million movie? Yeah, something like that. It's a big leap. Anyway, yes. so um, that's happening. Uh, ben Mendelsohn has been cast as the Sheriff of Nottingham <laughs> in uh, the film that I think we all asked for, Robin Hood colon Origins. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> hey, look, uh, nobody's as big a fan. I interviewed Ben Mendelsohn yesterday and he was an absolute delight. I really like that he's suddenly becoming the sort of villain for hire in Hollywood. But I don't know, do we really need another Robin Hood movie? 
Or let alone three. I think there's three in development. Just three. Really? I think this one's going to kill three different. The other two. Yeah, possibly. I've got, a, I've got a feeling. This is the one with uh, Taron Egerton as Robin Hood and Jamie Foxx as Little John, I believe. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, this is good casting. Ben Mendelsohn's very, very good. Do you know, I saw um, a film that I don't know if I'd overlooked it in the podcast. I can't remember, but I saw Mississippi Grind recently. Oh, it's a great film. Fantastic yeah. film. If you haven't seen Mississippi Grind, it's on Amazon Video at the moment. It's on there, so you can download it. You can watch it. Uh, great, great film about gambling and about uh, human uh, frailty and yeah. foibles. Fantastic. Really, really good central performances from the from the, uh, the duo. He's great. Um, casting in this movie has been good so far. Again, believe it's a first-time director or director who is quite yeah. inexperienced at this level. Otto Not, Bathurst, I believe it is. But what a name. I know. So he has that going for him. He has. I mean, can he... That's a, that's the name of a bad guy in a in a Robin Hood movie, surely, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> but he's worked on Peaky Blinders and things like that, so it's right, another cool. leap up from TV. There we go. Who's a handsome man who's just appeared on your, that, on your television? That's screen? Jamie Dornan, who's Will Scarlet. Will Scarlet, uh, Jamie Dornan. Yep. Fifty Shades of Scarlet. Fifty Shades of Scarlet. There you go. That it's sounds wrong. Hot rutting and no, oh, no, no rutting. Sherwood Forest. Goodness me, a Sherwood. Oh, no. Okay. Uh, Hi. There's been some awards. Uh, there have, news. yes. Isn't that exciting? We all love awards. Mm, I love them. Love trophies and things. Uh, Golden Globes nominations came out this week. Oh, uh, I mean, sorry. I, like, I'll Chris, be honest. I, I only had one look at this these lists, but my overwhelming impression, without wishing to sound negative, was that they're total bullshit. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Like I, I get, you know, they've they've hit upon some brilliant people, some brilliant films, some brilliant TV shows, but it kind of feels like it's by accident. Can I just? Uh, I I know a little bit of what was nominated. Okay. By the shadowy cabal of ancient beings that, that formed the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, and I think I know the one that's really pissed you off. Which one do you think it is? Is it Tom Ford as best director? <laughs> that didn't honestly. That was not the one that leapt out. I just rolled my eyes at that. But that kind uh, of that at least sort of figures. Some of the others, why does you're like, it just figures because they think he's important. Everybody thinks he's important, and he is important. He's a he's a very important fashion designer. I'm not sure he's a very important director. <laughs> um, I get that, but well, I just what was the one that really made you uh, just you know lose it well it was a bit I mean Mel Gibson for best director I like I liked Hacksaw Ridge actually I like mm-hmm. him I don't think he's one of the five best directors this year I'm sorry no. he just isn't I'm, I'm with um, you on that uh, I, you know obviously my, my issues with La La Land we're going to talk about in a, in a, in a future week but in a future uh, week I, 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 uh, I think you're, you're. I think you're relative. You're not alone. I've seen other people. I haven't seen La La Land yet, um, mainly because yeah. I can't say it. But um, you don't seem to be alone in this. But no. it, it, there seems to be an overwhelming kind of everyone loves it for the most part kind of thing. So you, you might be on a, oh, no, a I get small that. I, And that's fine. I'm on oh, my no. island with La La Land. I get that. I still expect it to be nominated. Same with Tom Ford to an extent. Like I, I, expect I didn't him see to Tom Ford coming, so to speak. And I didn't... I, I honestly didn't... I, I thought that, that one took me by surprise. Uh, like the complete... I don't know whether they saw... Uh, silence in time, but they completely snub silence. Yeah, yeah silence. I think, I silence think is just missed the boat a little bit. Yeah, and silence is so internal. I mean, again, we'll be. T- oh, will we be talking about this in a future week? I won't be here next week, and it's out over Christmas. Uh, uh, we will be, but you will not be. Are you embargoed at this point in time? 
I think in theory I am, but loads of the reviews are up. So I'm just going to very quickly say, and just hope that nobody's listening. Um, nobody's listening, it's fine. We've established that over four and a half years. Um, I, I thought it was phenomenally good, mm. actually, but it is extremely internal, dialed back, um, theological, never mind philosophical. Mm-hmm. And it is not an obvious... It's not one that demands Oscar attention because, quite frankly, it has its eye on loftier stuff. Yeah. And so I feel like in a year Being where... The Empire Awards. Yes. <laughs> I just feel like it might well be overlooked. I was pleased it's, to see Viggo Mortensen, by the way, nominated for Captain Fantastic. Um, I was pleased by basically all of the best actress in, in a drama nominations. I am... With the best will in the world, baffled that Florence Foster Jenkins seems to be doing well at yeah. a lot of awards. I'm not. Nomination. I know not. it's Meryl Streep, but like, dude. I think on. I think Hugh Grant's fantastic in that film. He and, is great. Uh, but the, the film I think has been overlooked and has been overlooked at all the awards and it's a real shame is Love and Friendship. Uh, mm. Mm. I, Tom Bennett yeah. was robbed. Tom Bennett was robbed. Kate Beckinsale was robbed. Yeah. She's fantastic in that film. And I know there's one listener who wrote into us who says that they really didn't like Love and Friendship and they're baffled by our love for it. But uh, it's a fantastic film. Very, very witty. Uh, not, I don't agree with the lead character, but you don't have to. But it's, uh, it's she's she's absolutely fantastic in that movie. And uh, I think she deserves to be in the conversation, mm. at least. But it's yeah. one of those situations that I think... This doesn't this isn't always the case, but if a movie comes out too early in the year, it yeah, gets lost. It do, yeah. And yeah. especially with the Golden Globes, uh, who the HFPA have an average age of two hundred and forty seven. That's right, they don't that's have true, the yeah. greatest of long term memories. Yeah. So yeah. Who knows? I think that's what um, the, the, the lizards, the lizard people, the lizard French yeah. people. I also think uh, Arrival's getting overlooked a bit in the mm. best picture categories generally. So it, it um, sort of looks like a three horse race at the moment between La La Land, yeah. Moonlight, yeah, and, and Manchester, Manchester by, by the, the sea. sea. Manchester by the Sea. Uh, I think I'm embargoed, but I mean, I was dehydrated after that <laughs> film. That yeah. film is so emotionally moving. Yeah. My God, um, it would be my choice. Yeah. I think, but. I think mm. the, the momentum is with La La Land at the moment. Um, I mean, great. And it, you know, fine. I There's there's a couple of interesting bits from the nominations. One mm. is that Deadpool picked up two nominations yeah. for uh, Best Musical Slash Comedy because the Golden Globes are rare in that they have a musical slash comedy category. Yeah, which is... Which is strange and often leads to some odd quirks, mm-hmm. but it does, it's, it's nice to see a superhero movie recognised because it, they're not usually never get awards recognition and also Ryan Reynolds got best actor uh, nomination Uh, the best song category is really really weird actually I Mm. think it's I think it's bizarre um I think um, to have sing in there but not sing street, I think, is a bit outrageous. Yeah, actually, and, and I tell you what's really outrageous yeah. is Finding Dory is missed out of the best animated category. Well, the only thing I'll say about that is animated f- is right. So last year, the most competitive category, hands down, yeah. certainly come Oscar time, was cinematography. This year, no question. It's animation. Animation is stunning this year. Um, your your name didn't get in there either. Yeah. That's a good point. So, but <coughs> Sing, I really, I've seen Sing. Uh, it's fine. It's it's likable, but yeah. it's very broad and it's not remarkable in any way. It's and not on it the just, same level as those other four. Does not deserve to be there. Yeah, uh, you could put Finding Dory there. You could put Your Name there. You could put. Uh, There's about six others. Aren't yeah, there? you could even put like something like Ethel and Ernest mm. there. You know, it's so I feel like that was a bit of a. 
Bit of a punt. Bit of a punt. Okay, I think we've uh, spent more time than the Golden Globes deserve <laughs> on the Golden Globes. Um, let's talk very, very quickly about trailers. Yeah. There were some big ones that dropped after the podcast went up last week. Four big ones that I can see. Spider-Man Homecoming. Yeah. War for the Planet of the Apes. Yeah. Dunkirk. And Fast and Furious 8, yes. which is called... The fate of the furious in the states. Yes, over here we're a little bit more prosaic with our with our ridiculous movies about uh, <laughs> car-based destruction. So it's now just called the Grand Tour. No, <laughs> no, no, it's not. How dare it's you? It's called Fast and Furious Eight. Okay, so let's take them on boy on. So Spider-Man: Homecoming. I I really enjoyed it. My only quibble was the the trailer, at least, was very much jumping up and down and shouting, "We've got Iron Man in our movie, hmm. guys!" Which I didn't think they needed. I I felt like they should maybe trusted. Spider-Man a little bit more. Having said that, you know, really like the look of it. I liked the US trailer, which accentuated the high school stuff more than mm. I did the international trailer, which accentuated the blowing up stuff. Fair enough, yeah. Uh, which doesn't really seem to have anything we haven't seen before from a Spider-Man movie, whereas the high school stuff does to an extent. Um, I think Tom Holland still looks fantastic as Peter Parker. It's amazing. He's a guy in his 60s and he is playing this. <laughs> and um, it just looks fun. And, and seeing Downey is, as, as as Tony Stark always oh, makes yeah, me It is fun. I, I'm, I'm not, by the way, like I'm not complaining that Tony Stark is in it. Yeah. I just, I didn't, I felt like they needed a bit more confidence in Spidey yeah. himself. But it needs to May, but listen, hey, yeah. it's a trailer. And honestly, I, I had to, I missed the fact that the last shot was Iron Man and Spider Man for, for a long time. I thought it was the Vulture flying after Spider Man. Oh. Um, Michael Keaton looks fun. They seem to have gone down an interesting route with the Vulture. Yeah, there was one shot that looked like Craven the Hunter, but is that just the Vulture's yeah, rough? rough? It's just okay. as rough. Yeah, he's, he's well rough. And um, uh, he is wearing a sort of helmety mask type thing which is which brings back Green Goblin flashbacks mm, from the first movie no, but the MCU have to obviously shown that you can have characters whose faces don't move and, and no one seems to really mind Indeed. so it's, it's all good so uh, I would give that a solid 6 out of 10 okay right. 6 out of 10 okay. or 3 stars which is <laughs> a recommendation, a recommendation. Yeah. next right. War for the Planet of the Apes Yes, I, yeah. I thought this looked really impressive. I mean, obviously the CGI is now yeah. just uh, phew, the uncanny valley. Phew, forget about it; it's it's crazy. The the fur is unbelievable. But but more than that, I think there's there's something very atmospheric about this trailer. I mean, we've never really seen an apes movie set in winter, as mm. far as I can remember. Well, last one was quite rainy, but yeah. yeah. And I think the uh, this one looks more warry in yes. that the apes actually are not <laughs> yes. just using tools; they're using warry for the planet of the apes. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's yes. probably right yeah. in fact the one thing I didn't like about this trailer was uh, Woody Harrelson's line at the end where he, he sort of clumsily shoehorns in uh, if they win this war it truly will be the planet of the apes like, oh. <laughs> yeah we get it Come we get on. it dude. I Come hope on. he looks at the camera when he says exactly and winks because I rolled whenever um Tom Felton said, "Get your hands off me, you damn dirty mm. ape!" In, in the first, you don't need it. You don't need it. You don't need. You know, it's yeah. fine. This is in a different kind of kind of universe now. Uh, what's interesting about this is that the human lead seems to be the bad guy, and it doesn't seem to be that much from the point of view no, of yeah. of, uh, of the humans. I think that may also be part of the uh, the confidence that they feel with the effects. Now they're confident mm. that just Caesar and mm. not huge numbers of humans around yeah. them can mm. lead it. Because they're clearly so. talking more as well. They've, they've become yeah. more advanced. Uh, I believe they even have a podcast. Uh, so not so, that advanced. So no, clearly not. So how did what did you what would you rate that out of out of I, I say stars five stars. 
Um, I'd probably go three again, actually. Three, yeah. solid three. I think, solid three. I think I might push to a four. A four, Ooh. yeah, a four. <laughs> One day we might even review the movies. <laughs> um, then we have Dunkirk. Yes. Yeah, so somebody said something about this on uh, Twitter yesterday. I think it was Hello Taylor uh, pointed out that uh, Christopher Nolan fans and Harry Styles fans um, will both be praising this film mm. to the high, the, high seas. That's before a big it fan diagram. Opens. That's a huge. Like that is some. Those are some big circles. But here's my question: What if he cuts Harry's role down a bit too much? What if he pulls a Terrence Malick? We could see a war I between fandoms don't. that will destroy the galaxy. This could be a war for the planet of fun direction. <laughs> the directioners. I, th- I think he's in. He's in the trailer quite a bit. Um, he seems to be in the film. He seems yeah. to be in the film. It's it's. Uh, it's probably totally safe fine. to go outside. I don't think it's a question of styles over substance. Oh, oh dear. I, I really it. enjoyed the uh, the Dunkirk hashtag on Twitter yesterday. It was just full of One Direction fans. There was a gif Aww. of Harry Styles drowning in the water and uh, or appearing to drown. Or appearing to drown. Appearing to drown. No, that's not necessarily a spoiler. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> the, the the caption was, "This is Harry drowning in our tears." Aww. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, it's, a, it's a decent trailer. It doesn't yeah. have much of a story yeah. yet. I mean, I, I don't know how sprawling this is going to be. Yeah, it's it, a huge it, rescue it, operation. It looks like it's going to be sprawling. Doesn't yeah. it? it mm. looks like it's going to be very much a sort of an ensemble sort of a piece yeah. from that trailer. Maybe a, bri- the bri- a bridge too far rather than... Yeah, very much. Yeah, something like so that. So interesting, but but looked beautifully, beautifully made. Yeah. Bit of Mark Rylance, oh. bit of uh, Kenneth Branagh. I mean, yeah. Mark Rylance is just doing his BFG at this point, yeah, isn't he? Yeah, pretty much we, is. we were sitting in the office yesterday. He's, he's just going to be... Wazzlers. <laughs> the lofty wafflies. <laughs> what even is... What are you saying? I don't understand. The Nazi wafflies. Um, uh, yeah, but yeah, yeah, it looks good. Yeah. I'm excited. Looks Probably good. Looks a four, I guess. Four, yeah. well, four for Dunkirk. Maybe. I don't know. Somewhere up there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Bit of Killian Murphy, bit of Tom Hardy. Can't really go wrong, can you? you? Can't go wrong with that. It's all good. And then the last trailer. And I think this may be the last trailer. <laughs> There's nowhere to go after <laughs> this. This is it. It's the end for trailers. And this may be the end for cinema. But if, if it is... What a way I to think, go. <laughs> precisely. This is, this is uh, the Fast and the Furious of the Fate of the Furious 8. <laughs> and it's uh, completely bonkers. Totally and bonkers. And the trailer is about three minutes long. I hope that the film is four hours long because it so, has so much yeah, plot. Yeah, so much, so, so much. much. So, so we've got uh, Vin Diesel going bad and turning his evil. back on family. Family. <gasps> because of Charlize Theron. No! So presumably it's like mind control or like she's holding somebody hostage or like it's going to be something, isn't it? Anyway, uh, and so they have to get the rock out of prison. The rock's in prison for some reason. Because Well, he would be. Like he's broken the law like a lot. And he's, you know, a lawman, so he really yeah. should be paying uh, a contract. He, he should, yeah, he should yeah. be. So he's broken out of prison with Jason Statham yes. to bring down Vin Diesel? Basically, Helen, I was nearly simple. as confused by this as I was by Transformers last week. I'm so... It's fairly simple. Okay. Dom Toretto and mm-hmm. his family, have, his family. Uh, have, have... They're doing something. Mm-hmm. All right. It's a big, epic heist. Mm-hmm. And they're teaming up with Luke Hobbs uh, on this heist for reasons. Uh, and then... As they're getting away from this, mm-hmm. uh, Luke Hobbs, uh, Dom Toretto, decides to turn on his family. No! And, and presumably in the aftermath, Luke Hobbs gets captured. And no. the police go, hey, what, what, are you, what are you doing, man? Go to prison. And not just any prison, the same prison as Deckard Shaw. Um, <laughs> so... 
<laughs> and then we have Mr. Nobody, played by Kurt Russell, who has Scott Eastwood. Have you yes. how short Scott Eastwood is? Is he? That's one thing that, that that's the real takeaway for me from Suicide Squad and and this. He seems to be quite short, like four feet, something like that. He's like five nine, five ten, something like that. It, that's what it seems to be. I mean, it says he's one point eight meters, which would be what one point eight meters. What is that? Like five ten. Five ten. Five eleven. Five ten. I don't know. He has a weakness. Just saying. Anyway, so he is with Mister Nobody, and then they break out. They they decide to, <laughs> to get Jason Statham, who's trying to kill the guys in the last movie, now to team up with the guys to go after Dom, and then Charlie's Theron. I hope she gets more to do than this than just uh, scour, uh, yeah. scowl rather in the in the in the background and yeah. just kind of go. Ooh. I hope she does. More. I mean, she's really good at that. Don't get me wrong. She's but yeah, great. Too. But we haven't seen Helen Mirren. We no. have there's tons of stuff we haven't seen. Uh, a plot, character development, <laughs> anything like that. But it does look like enormous. I mean, fun. this is a five star trailer, isn't Come it? On. It's a it's a, it's a it's six a star fo- trailer. <laughs> it's an eight star. It's an eight star it's trailer. An eight star trailer. Uh, amazing, amazing stuff. Right, uh, let's move on now to our second guest this week. He is one of the stars of this week's big film. Perhaps even this year's big film, uh, Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Uh, but he's an, an acting legend. Uh, across films like Ghost Dog, Way of the Samurai, The Last King of Scotland, for which he won an Oscar, of course, The Crying Game, tons and tons of movies. He is the great Forrest Whitaker. He was speaking to the just as great Ian Freer. Eh. I know. Listen to this. Enjoy it. That's an order. Forrest Whitaker, welcome to the Empire Podcast. How are you, sir? I'm good. It's good to be here. Cool. Um, Rogue One is kind of out in the world now. Has it kind of been difficult to keep it secret? Um, it's funny, I mean, you just kind of accept that, that everything is a secret from the very beginning, from when you get the script sent to you, how it's, like, delivered to you, and how, you know, you, you can't copy it or you can't even print it, you know what I mean, uh, to, like, when you get the character and not, and you're in the film not being able to even... In my case, they didn't want to tell anybody who I was even playing. Yeah, that's what I remember, yeah. time, yeah. you know, <laughs> on, they, they, that went on for... God, it feels like a half a year, a long time. <laughs> and then, uh, then finally they announced that, or that came out, and, and uh, when they decided they wanted to show that. But I guess the secrecy is that he was a character who's existed in Star Wars before, isn't he? I think George yeah. Lucas created him for Star Wars Underworld, a TV series. Yeah. Then he turned up in Clone Wars, mm. and now he's in Rogue One. Did yeah. you did you know the history of the character? Did you look at that? I I, um, I talked to Gareth when Gareth first brought me. You know, you know, talked to me about doing the part. He started to show me some images and things that he was thinking about, and he talked to me about Saw. And I started to do a bunch of research when he decided for me to play the part. And, right. and the research was looking at the Clone Wars. <laughs> and, uh, and what did you think of that? I, 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 I really love the Clone I think they're great. Yeah, they're, they're really parts, good. You know? yeah. yeah, they're really good. They're well done, too. Yeah. Uh, but my character was really uh, interesting in there. And, uh, and so uh, I started to build and shape a little bit about his philosophies and the things that had happened to him in his life. I had already been given a past history, yeah. which is cool yeah. know, as an actor. Yeah. So how, how would you kind of describe his relationship to the Rebel Alliance and the Rebellion? Well, I mean, he started with them working. I mean, he started with the Rebel Alliance, and, and uh, he was always someone who had very strong opinions. You know? <laughs> and uh, ultimately, he felt that the threat was so great, that the, the destruction really of the universe and the control and the freedom of mankind or humankind, not even humankind, universe, I don't know what you call it, universal kind. Yeah. You know what I mean? But... Um, that he needed to do what it was ever necessary. Yeah. And that like pushed him into another area where he started to do things that were more extreme. 
Yeah. And ultimately, the alliance disconnected themselves from him, and he was a his own, in a way, rogue, rebel force, and just him and his fighters, Saw's fighters. So he's kind of the darker end of the, the rebel alliance, as it were. He is. I yeah. mean, he became that. I mean, he he was always sort of, uh, you know, he was struggling with a uh, with I guess the light and dark, but but he's at some point he realized that what was going to happen was so great that. It was he was willing to make the compromises, moral compromises, ethical compromises, whatever it would take to do, which the others weren't willing to do. But he said, well, he was necessary. And in yeah. these kinds of conflicts and stuff, quite often you'll find that when you have a peaceful force, there's an alternative uh, violent force yeah. that uh, has is doing other extreme things. And the question is, without that balance or without those continual progs, you know, would would you be able to solve the conflict at all? That's fascinating stuff for a, a blockbuster movie, isn't it? That's a great area to be in. Yeah, it's, it's, it is, you know, cause it's, because it, you, when I, I remember when I was sat there watching it and the first image comes out, I was like, whoa, you know, it like overtook you, you know what I mean? It's like, it's so visual, it's got all the things that I think that people are used to or, or even more in some of the, the, in the war saga, you know? Um, but it, it does go into an area that, that I think is really interesting, which is what we just talked about. And, yeah. and also it goes into that area of like finding your belief, something to stand for, something to live for. I think Felicity's character ends up doing that. And when we meet her, she's so, in some ways it feels a little lost. Right. And, you know, Mads is her dad and he's doing different things. But ultimately she starts to see what's happening to the people. She makes a decision. Okay. And how did you think about the kind of physicality of the character? And because and, uh, <laughs> he's kind of, he's gone battle hardened, isn't he? Would you say that? Yeah. yeah. We see his battles all over his body. You know? Yeah. I mean, obviously he's like, Something has happened to his lungs and everything. He's like his breathing apparatus. You know, you see, you know, um, you know his leg. He's got a robotic leg. You know, from another battle. So, you know, all those scars like weigh out on him. And when we meet him, he's 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 trying to what he thinks fight off the final battle. Yeah. You know, um, and so is that fun stuff to play all that? That kind of <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had a great time actually. I love the character. It's a uh, it's a uh, it's quite like not any I've played before, you know. He, because it's sort of in this, because of he's had to take the leadership in such a strong way that you do feel sort of like a kingdom. If it's a kingdom, and like he's it's his, this rebel force of his, solids, yeah. you know, rebels, and um, and it's kind of like exciting to play all those things of the philosopher, the warrior, you know, um, uh, king. Yeah, you know? I was thinking about your character in Ghost Dog. Kind of the way, which is kind of has a, a Bushido element in Star Wars, yeah. isn't there? Did you did you find that kind of a through line sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, I, I love the uh, Bushido, you know, uh, philosophy, the Book of Five Rings, uh, you know, in in the case of you know the Hakuri, in the case of uh, Ghost Dog. But I think that was always that always attracted me, even as a kid when I first saw my first Star Wars, was looking at you know um, the battles and they they had that feeling of like certain types of philosophical thought that I had been studying and training in and stuff at the yeah. time. And, and so it, we feel that here. And you see that with, you know, like you talk about his injury, but it looks like a walking stick, but actually it's it's a fighting uh, implement. He was trained by Anakin Skywalker. He was trained by Obi-Wan. He's, he's been trained in that area and, and uh, that those philosophical thoughts about, as, you, as we were just discussing. Cool, okay. Um you seem to be owning science fiction in 2016, so because uh, you also you, you were in Arrival, uh, which yeah. you've just seen. Tell me about that. How that that turned out fantastically, didn't it? You must be delighted. Yeah, I mean, 
I thought it was it's an interesting, you know, thing about communication and connection. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, to be a science fiction film, I thought it had like a really powerful, important social message about the world, you know, and about how we need to connect and be able to communicate and not to make false judgments and judge too early to try to understand first. And uh, I, I enjoyed getting to be a part of it, you know, um, in that sense. Yeah. So I think um, military men in those kind of movies, they're often kind of hard types and, and stern types. And I thought you brought other kind of colors to that character, I thought. I was I was trying to, you know, understand him, like, from the inside out. Yeah. So I created somebody that I, you know, very specifically from sort of a Boston area who, like, had uh, been through certain conflicts and had a certain uh, makeup. Cause I've, and I've met some, some of these warriors, warrior... Uh, Generals and stuff uh, like the Colin Powells and the different people of the oh, world, wow. and, yeah. and uh, there's a there's an ease about them, and there's an uh, innate intelligence, uh, actually a twinkle in their eyes too. Sometimes that maybe I didn't get the twinkle as much as I should have, <laughs> but, uh, but they but they 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 have something that's quite unusual, and I I was trying to infuse a little bit of that yeah. into this character. Okay, um, I looked at the beginning of your career and. Um, most actors kind of just play a, a guy in a thing when they start. But you kind of work with Cameron Crowe, with Scorsese, with Oliver Stone, mm-hmm. all these kind of great names. That, that's an amazing way to start a career, isn't it? Yeah, I've been uh, really fortunate. I mean, I, I think I was always just looking for opportunity to continue to grow as an artist. And and um, I would most of the time just try to do things that I um, really believed in like allowed me to do that. And then sometimes the opportunities are just great, like, you know, like doing Bird with Clint Eastwood. That's just a great opportunity yeah. to get a chance to, to do something like that. Or Scorsese, I'd always, you know, he's a brilliant filmmaker. And to just get this one scene, but it'd be a very special scene in The Color of Money, was really good. And, you know, to be across from... So if people haven't seen it, you play a hustler, don't you? Yeah. It's just a, a brilliant, it's a brilliant little scene. It's amazing. Yeah, I hustle Paul Newman. And I kind of sparked me for it, I think, to get a lot of other things. And, and then I'm... Throughout, I've been able to to work with some really exceptional guys. Like you say, Oliver is an exceptional filmmaker. You know, lots of them. You know, uh, I think Neil Jordan in Crying Game. I was. Just, I mean, there's so many filmmakers yeah. that I, um, I, I've gotten the chance to to work with, and new ones now that I think are really talented. Mm. You know? And then does, does winning winning at Cannes one thing, but winning an Oscar does that mean a completely different kind of shift in in interest in you and career in you? I mean, I think that um, I can't say that the roles are better. Yeah. You know, I mean, because I had played some really extraordinary characters before. Yeah. I got to do Ghost Dog, as you say. I'd, yeah. I'd done, you know, Bird. I'd been in The Crying Game. I'd done a number of different films. Um, maybe at times it made my my value when, that they were calibrating maybe yeah. more to make a film. Um mm, I guess at the end of the day, it, for your point of view, it doesn't make your performance any better or any worse, does it? If I, you were, I don't if know you were. the characters were that much. I mean, I played... Uh, what did I play? I mean, I've played like in The Butler, you know, like I yeah. love playing that character yeah. and I'm very proud of it, you know. So that would be one of those films afterwards that does that. But before... But otherwise, I had already been doing a lot of really... Like I'd, I'd done Smoke with Wayne Wang. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd done a lot of really interesting films with like... Extraordinary filmmakers, you know. Uh, I I'd done um, Olivier Dahl, you know, who had done um, hmm. La Vie en Rose. Got a chance to work with him, you know. I mean, 
I mean, uh, uh, Robert Altman. Yeah. I worked with him and, you know, Prada Forte. So I, <laughs> I had, so I don't know if that same thing, I don't know if it changed much. I, I'm still doing the same, I'm still searching the same kind of roles to play in the same kind of films. This one's different. This is all about personal growth. Yeah. You know? And final question, uh, talking about an interesting film because you've been working with Ryan Coogler and you're going to be in Black Panther. Yeah. What, what can we say about that? Um... I'm excited to do it. I mean, I think Ryan's an amazing filmmaker. Yeah, brilliant filmmaker. You know, yeah. uh, I've, I've got a chance to know him since college, you know, and uh, so I'm excited to see what it's like to be working with him on the other side, <laughs> not as a producer, but as an actor, you know, because uh, that's that's how we started with Fruitvale Station. And can we say anything about your character? Um, yeah, he's, he's like uh, the shaman, you know, of the of this community. He's like to the prince, and uh, so yeah, yeah. First, that's great stuff. Thank you so much. Pleasure to have you here. Thank you. Okay, thanks. Okay, Sue. So, uh, that was Forrest Whitaker and Ian Fear talking about Rogue One, and now let's talk about Rogue One. There is another movie out this week. There are there are other movies out. But other movies are available. Yes, let's talk about Rogue One though, um, and we mm. will of course be having a spoiler special for this. Big noise, big uh, big noise of a movie. So uh, that's going to be out on Monday, Monday, December 19th, with Gareth Edwards, the director of the movie, talking about the film, and four of us agents talking about it as well. So, but first, Helen. Hi. As non-spoiler as you can. As non-spoiler as I can. Okay, so... Uh uh, we open on a sort of farm planet. Looks a little bit like Iceland, weirdly. And uh, there, Galen Urso, or aka Mads Mikkelsen, is living in peace and quiet with his family, with his young daughter, Jin, who will grow up to be Felicity Jones, for example. Uh, but his idyll is uh, interrupted because director Krennic, played by no. Ben Mendelsohn, turns up and presses him into service. Not Otto Bathurst. I know. <laughs> He's Press, back. <laughs> presses him into service uh, to work on the Empire's weapons program. So he is forced to leave his daughter behind. Uh, she has to basically hide under a rock until she's picked up by her guardian. And, uh, and she has to then fend for herself while her, her dad is basically forced to build a, a giant round weapon for the Empire. Let's call it, I don't know... <laughs> a star a, of death? A star of death. Um, and, and basically, that's that's the sort of first kind of five minutes. So we, we cut then to about uh, 15, 20 years later. Uh, she is kind of struggling by on her own. Uh, she's in prison. She's broken out by the rebellion. And it, it transpires that a message from her dad has gotten out. And everybody is basically trying to find out what this was, what has happened, and whether there's any kind of hope. Because there are rumours already about a new weapon which is causing problems in the galaxy what this needs is a new hope to combat <laughs> yeah but it's in not going to get one in this film is it no you know? it's not so this is so, a prequel this is a prequel obviously to the, uh, the, the the first Star Wars movie yes uh, chrono- uh, chronologically in, in, in our chronology yeah. as opposed to in internal chronology so yes this takes place essentially immediately preceding A New mm. Hope it's the first standalone Star Wars movie yes mm. uh I have not seen it as of yet. Okay. I'm going to go see it today. So, so what, are we, what are we in for? Um, I was really, really positive about it. I really liked it. I think it's it starts off... There's a little bit of toing and froing at the start because you've got a lot of characters, obviously, to introduce. You know, you don't come with that built-in knowledge of who C-3PO and R2-D2 and those kind of people are. So you have to kind of establish all of that. Um, so we have um, Cassian Andor, who's Diego Luna's character. He's the sort of... Um, he's interesting. He is the cocky kind of 
rebel fighter, but he's a little bit morally murkier than you might expect of him, which I kind of liked. I think it's interesting that he's not a straightforward good guy here. Uh, there's a little bit of a real edge of ruthlessness to him, I think. He works with K2SO, who's the droid voiced by Alan Tudyk who is by some distance the sassiest droid mm. in the Star Wars universe, at least on screen so far. I think there's a Knights of the Old Republic droid who was kind of a homicidal maniac. He's a little bit like that, but he's he's much funnier on purpose, I think, than than the regulars. Um, Forrest Whitaker is a rebel too hardliner for the, for the rebellion, which is pretty cool. Uh, Riz Ahmed uh, is a, a pa- pilot, um, and I'm not going to say too much about him for fear of spoilers. Uh, is that everybody? Is that the main ones? Oh, and Donnie Yen. Donnie Yen. Who's amazing as the Force-sensitive guardian of the Jedi Temple at Jeddah. And uh, Jiang Wen uh, as Baze Malbus. Yes. sort of um, Donnie Yen's like partner in crime. He's, yeah. he's always carrying a massive, massive weapon. He's his probably hetero life partner, <laughs> yeah, exactly, I guess. Or yeah. possibly not hetero. I don't know. You can read it however you want. Exactly. But definitely partnership there which is which is kind of cool yeah it's um, um it's a funny one this one isn't mm. it because it's a very unusual star wars movie i mean there's no opening crawl yep there's no john williams score um little yeah that, there's some very john williamsy cues yes so yeah. michael giacchino who did compose it is very much taking his literal cue from williams um for the first first few people that that wasn't that i've spoken to that that was maybe not uh you know you, you do miss yeah. john williams yeah. um and there are the occasional theme pops in when it's required yeah but also at the same time it's it's very much a star wars movie there, there's a lot of touch points that uh i feel sort of I mean, in our review, I think we said it's like the ultimate Star Wars fan film because it because it really <laughs> yeah. you know it, it pays a lot of tributes to the to the series mythology. There's some moments, yeah, where even it, some tiny characters. Oh yeah, turn up, yeah. There's there's some very interesting cameos from people you might not expect yeah. to see. Some in real form and some in uh, CGI form. Yeah, there are some CG humans here. Yeah. Um, mm. Now this is the holy grail of visual effects really this is the one thing that nobody's really confident they can 100% pull off but these are I would say the closest human characters to the edge of, unca- of the uncanny valley that we've seen in a while they're, they're, they're on a sort of an outcropping near the edge of the valley hmm. they're trying to leap over onto the out of the valley but they haven't quite got there yet um, but they're in scenes with real humans and that's, that's quite impressive uh, one thing I would say by the way is I agree. It, it, there's a lot of it that feels like a real Star Wars, or a real Star Wars, uh, you know, a traditional <laughs> Star Wars movie. But there are some uh, some things that are different. And I think one of them is that it, it, Gareth Edwards, the director, was not kidding when he said that this is harder edged mm. and tougher. If mm. you have sort of six-year-old kids who loved The Force Awakens last year, who are maybe really excited for this one, maybe go see it yourself first and form a view on whether or not it's going to be a bit much for them. Yeah, it goes to some dark places, doesn't it? It, In it does, Places yeah. that you, you don't expect. And um, yeah, the, the, it's, it's amazing actually how emotional it is. I think Very much I was so. moved by this um, maybe more than any other Star Wars movie. And, and that's that surprised me a lot. And also I, just that last third the third act yeah the third act is I thought astonishing uh, on the on the whole is just really impressive this yeah. is interesting this is the third act that was apparently significantly retooled um, 
I heard that most of what they added was was humour and there are mm. moments of humour throughout okay. the film that kind of keep you going um, but I think for whatever reason now certainly the action in the third act is is genuinely fascinating it's, it is definitely a war movie at that point and mm. it is shot uh, in just a really interesting way it just looks different to any Star Wars film we've seen before while also having certain traditional Star Wars elements to that third act mm. Um so I, I just really loved it. I thought it was great. I think I think I actually, in the end, wasn't as fascinated by Krennic as I hoped to be. Um, I thought just because of, not necessarily because of Ben Mendelsohn, I thought he's great, but I, I think his role is not quite what you expect it to be and he, he doesn't make the impact of other Star Wars villains. Um, but there are other villains around so that you don't feel that absence too much. But he's not quite maybe as iconic as I would have liked. His cape's pretty iconic though, isn't His it? His cape I mean, is pretty ace, yeah. Like yeah. Th- just the way it swooshes around. Oh. What, a, what, a cape. what a cape. I'm very intrigued. Uh, you have sold me. I would be going to see this little known independent movie <laughs> at my earliest convenience. Four stars in for Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Uh, the next Star Wars film, of course, is episode V-I-I-I. Indeed, yes, mm, next year. Very exciting. Uh, cool. So there is another film out this week, and it does have a Star Wars connection, doesn't it, John? It does indeed, yes. This is uh, The Eagle Huntress, which is a documentary which uh, features, if you wanted to see a, a non-Star Wars film, but you still need your Star Wars fix, it has a narration from Daisy Ridley, a.k.a. Ray from The Force Awakens, of course. Uh, she only narrates for about five minutes, um, she 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 came on board with the film once it had finished and she loved it so much she just wanted to be involved so she adds a bit of uh, what she calls hand-holding just to help the audiences through um, so it's a really fascinating story about this uh, 13-year-old girl who, who wants to become uh, an eagle hunter this is a 13-year-old Kazakh girl from Mongolia named Aishapan uh, in, a, in a sort of nomadic culture where eagle eagle hunting is a, a big part of the culture in, in gathering food food and it's in uh, there are many village elders in this community who really would rather not a, a young girl take up eagle hunting there's, there's there's some amazing quotes from some of the elders just saying oh women are women are fragile they're weaker <laughs> they can't handle the winter you know uh, and so she quite spectacularly proves them wrong we see her capture an eaglet from a nest and then train it and then take it to this sort of national eagle hunting competition where she wins in record times which is quite amazing it's shot in a beautiful sort of David Attenborough style swooping scenery just the most incredible Mongolian countryside and it has yeah it has a really sort of strong and interesting message for for you know young girls it's, it's something quite empowering about it all i mean it's it's you know it's sometimes quite prescriptive the editing sometimes sort of seems a little bit engineered but uh, on the whole it's a really beautiful piece of work uh, and it's got something that that um you know that, that i think can speak to everyone um cool. and, and yeah it's just epic so if you need a bit of uh, sort of counter programming let's say from mm. Star Wars then this is <laughs> go and see the Daisy Ridley movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you spoke to her about this didn't you so, I did I interviewed yeah, on the for the website okay. um, please go and have a read of that because um, she's very passionate about this this film and you know she she just wanted to bring her profile to, to draw a bit of attention to it um, and yeah okie dokie three stars for the Eagle Huntress uh, and that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Uh, Join us next week for more film-related fun where we'll be joined by Michael Fassbender, (gasps) star and producer 
of Assassin's Creed Bender. <laughs> he's here. He's in the studio. He's not in the studio. I went to the, did in the hotel room. Sorry. You were in a hotel Sorry. room with him. I was in a hotel room with Michael Fassbender. Golly. Shame. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> what? What? Uh, anyway oh, also we have uh, a couple of specials coming up as well we have the Rogue One Star Wars story spoiler special that's going to be out on Monday December 19th and then we have the review of the year podcast uh, close to two hour jamboree of nonsense oh yeah uh, and that's going to be out just after Christmas yes 27th 28th something, something like, like that, that. Yeah. something like that uh, so keep an eye peeled for that one say goodbye to Helen O'Hara yeah. say goodbye to the regular podcast for the last time this year oh. Uh, and say goodbye to John Nugent. Goodbye. Yes, that's how this works. Uh, and it's goodbye from me as well. I am off to tackle Otto Bathurst and halt his nefarious schemes. <laughs> Bathurst! <laughs> oh, you! He could be a delight. He's you a don't lovely, know. lovely guy. See you next week. Thanks. Bye. Bye.